0: Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And as you're, as you're turning to, to Matthew 28, are there, are there some key moments in which it, when you think back, you remember exactly where you were when whatever that event happened to take place? So for instance, I'll never forget where I was when I proposed to my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife then, but I proposed to Lori. In fact, I had, this was before Instagram, I had the Instagram plan ready to go. It was romantic, it was sweet, and everything went wrong. And I finally had to settle for pulling off the interstate I-71 in Cincinnati. Pulling over, she thought I was gonna throw up, and I said, no, will you marry me? <laughs> I, had to ask her to, I, had, I had to ask her three times. First two times, she thought I was teasing. Third time, she finally said, yes, I'll never forget where I was. In fact, we just drove by there with our kids, and I said, that's where it started, right there. <laughs> I'll never forget where I was when, when Lori told us that we were expecting our first child, Trey. In fact, incidentally, guys, I, I was flying back to Cincinnati. I'd been out here, I was working for a school, recruiting out here in Idaho. I was coming back from Idaho. She picked me up at the airport and she told me, she said, we're expecting. And I'm like, what's we? Like, like what's up? And I, I didn't know what it was going to be like, but i never forgot where I was. Now, some of you, you know, you go way back and, and it's even like big events. You'll never forget, some of you, where you were when you heard the JFK was shot. Some of you, you'll never forget where you were when 9-11 took place. Some of you will never forget on a more personal uh, level where you were when, when something, something tragic happened or, or whatever the case happens to be. There are key moments in life in which we, we'll never forget where we were. But what I wanna look at for the next few minutes on this Resurrection Sunday is perhaps those moments in which we'll never forget, we don't forget where we were, but we ask the question, God, where were you? You know, sometimes it's, it's in the national tragedy, like the, the shooting in Nashville, that tragic situation. Immediately, I, I heard it on, on, on TV, uh, on, on news reports, and all that sort of thing. They're interviewing people, and, and the question inevitably comes up where was God? Maybe it's more personal for you. It's where was God when, when I lost that child? Where was God when, when I was left alone? Where was God when this financial thing hit? Where was God when I felt so, so isolated? Listen, I don't have all of the, the answers to that question other than, when it comes to the specifics, other than this, I believe as we look at the story of Jesus Christ, we understand that what we celebrate today is not just an event, but it's a present reality. I think what we're gonna see over the next few minutes is this changes everything. And so if you're taking notes and, and maybe you're following along on the app or, or maybe you have a message guide, let me just give you my big point and then we're gonna break this down. I want us to understand that Jesus is still in the story. I want us to understand that Jesus is still in the story. so we pick up our reading in Matthew chapter 28. It says, now after the Sabbath, that would have been Saturday, uh, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now here's the deal. They knew where the tomb was because they had been at the cross. They'd watch them take Jesus off the cross. They watched them put Jesus in the tomb. They, know, they knew exactly where it was. This wasn't like a case of mistaken identity. They knew where the tomb was, and so they went to see the tomb. And, and then it kind of goes back in time. This happened before they got there. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Too late. (laughs) Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And guys, verse six is why we have showed up today to throw the biggest party. Literally, as a Christian, this is our day. When When we hear the response of the angel, he said, he is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, in essence, come see for yourself the place where he lay. Then go to quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb of fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. But as they were on the way, it says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. They're like, man, people keep telling us this. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, this is the second time this has showed up too, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verses 11 through 15 kind of give us, uh, you know... (laughs) an inside view to the cover-up that happened because the high priest and, and all the Jewish rulers, when they heard that there was an empty tomb, the soldiers just showed up. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't let, we can't let this uh, get out. And so they, they paid off the soldiers, put together uh, another story to be spread around because they did not want people finding out that Jesus was alive. So all you conspiracy theory people, you're gonna love that passage. I'm, not, I'm gonna keep on moving. But normally what we do is we stop with verse 15 and, and we're like, that's the resurrection story, and then the last five verses of Matthew, that's another part of the story, but I, I wanna pause real quick. Because Matthew, who is, is the writer here, he was, he was a disciple, he would have been one of the guys there. Matthew uses a literary technique often, more so than even the other guys that wrote the gospel, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and what he does is, he not only describes an event, but almost always, He also includes Jesus' commentary on the event, where Jesus explains what it meant, what it stood for, and all of that sort of thing. And almost always he does that, but but, but here's the deal. If we stop right here at verse 15, there's no commentary. We don't know the true significance. What's the rest of the story? Where do we go from here? And this is why, we pick up our reading in verse 16. There's a 40-day gap between verse 15 and verse 16 in which Jesus appeared to many. People saw him. Like, they, they could not deny. In fact, we, we, we read later in 1 Corinthians that over 500 people saw him. In fact, other secular, non-religious uh, historians record the fact that there was a guy, Jesus, who it was reported that he raised from the dead and that there were people that saw him. And so, like, it's, like his, like it's historical fact. But 40 days later, Jesus has showed up in Galilee where he said, tell the disciples, to meet me there. And they show up, and this is where we pick up our reading, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, you're like, well, I thought there were 12. Judas is gone. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I want you to listen closely, okay? There's a little commentary here. We're going we're gonna to break this down. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Many times we call that the Great Commission. That's the mandate for the church, but, 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 but it's, it, it is that but I think we're also getting something else here we're gonna break down. Then he left him with this before he went went to heaven. He said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Where's Jesus? Where were you in this situation, God? Why didn't you show up? I thought you were going to be there. Well, there are four things that I want us to just look at briefly before we leave. Jesus is still in the story. Here's the first place that I can tell you that he is right now. Jesus is in a place of authority. He's in a, he's in a place of authority. What he said to them was, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Paul providing further commentary on on this claim that Jesus makes says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 that when God raised Christ he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. Now, this whole idea of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father shows up time and time again in in the New Testament after the resurrection. So if you have read through the New Testament, you've probably seen this phrase, Jesus is seated at the right hand of, of, of the Father. But but we don't always think of the significance of that because we're not a monarchy here. Like we don't have a ruler who sits on a throne and reigns. Like the only thrones we see are in museums and that sort of thing. And so it's, it's good for us to understand this whole idea of the right hand. So first of all, when, when we talk about somebody being at the right hand of someone, we gotta understand that it is a place of influence. The right hand is a place of influence. In fact, we, we use this language from time to time, but we don't even think of it being associated with a throne. Like you might say, hey, I'm gonna tell you what, that guy, he's, he's, he's my right hand man. She's my right hand girl. Like, like here at Grace, uh, our executive pastor, Tony, I'll often talk about, man, he's my right-hand man, which means that he's implementing a lot of the things. It's a place of influence. It's a place of, 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 of divine execution, if you will. But more than that, it's also a place of favor. Many times in, in, uh, you know, in, in a monarchy, the person who would sit at the right hand would be the equivalent of what we would understand the prime minister to be. And so it's not just a, a place of, of divine execution, if you will. It's also a place of, of divine intercession. In which, because they have favor with the king, they actually can speak to the king and the king will listen to them. Now let me just break this down in common terms so you, you guys catch this. Like if you have, have kids or had kids or still have, whatever, you know, they might be like my kids. Especially my youngest, Cole. He's He's 14. And um, he knows that if he has it in his mind that he wants to go out to Freddy's for supper. You know what he does? He tries to get influence with different people before he brings his case to me. So like when his brother and sister are there, they'll get together and, and he'll, he'll introduce the idea and he is very persuasive. But he knows now that his, his brother and sister, they're, they're at college, what, what Cole will do is he goes to mama. And he'll, he, he, and again, he will present a convincing case to Lori because he knows that if he gets Lori, if he gets mom on his side, he knows that mom has more favor with the father than he does. <laughs> it may or may not have happened this week. I'm just telling you, man, he, he like lives this out. Well, the reality for us, the, the incredible part of this and why this matters is that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand and the work that he is doing at the right hand matters very personally for you and me. He, he's not only given the authority, he is interceding for us. In fact, over the last few weeks, as we've looked at Matthew 26, the Last Supper, we've looked at Matthew 27, the cross, and then this is the third week as we look at the empty tomb in Matthew 28, I have quoted this verse, it's in 1 John chapter two, where John writes and he said, I write these things to you brothers that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate That's the term right there. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. That big word just simply means he took our place, took the wrath that we should have taken. He paid the penalty, which means when he speaks to the Father, the Father listens to the Son. Is that good news or what? And so what this does is the fact that he is in a place of authority. Literally, what we've got to know is is, is this. Jesus is large and in charge. There's never been a time that he's like, oops, like it's never happened, <laughs> never happened. And so what happens is the, the, the fear. What if I'm alone in this? No, 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 no. He is in control. Literally, it, it turns to this calm fearlessness. He's got it. But it's not just that. It's in Matthew 28. Jesus is wherever he's being talked about. this is when he said, go, therefore, and and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's really a simple command. He said, just go tell people about me. Tell people what you've seen. Tell people what you know. Tell people what you've experienced. Go talk about me. And so as people do this, it's interesting that that in the New Testament, what we read is that something powerful takes place. Jesus shows up wherever people are talking about him. You're like, where? Okay, since you asked. Ephesians chapter 2. Really interesting verse here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul is writing, he's writing this letter to uh, a church or a group of churches in in, uh, Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he says, he says to them this, he says, Christ came and preached peace to you. In other words, he came and, and talked about that you can have peace because of his work on the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, if you've studied the gospels or, or you know, the life of Christ, what you know is that Jesus never, never went to Turkey. He, his ministry was primarily in Galilee. He, he ministered in Judea. He did not go to Turkey. How in the world can the apostle Paul say Christ came and preached to you? It's because Jesus manifests his presence through the proclamation of the gospel, which means that like this this book is not something, you know, we blow the dust off. (sighs) Uh, Kids, I want to give you a history lesson, you know, like at Christmas and Easter. No, like literally what this means is when we show up and, and we, are, we are testifying to who Christ is. We are testifying to the gospel. We are remembering the truth of this. It means that Jesus is meeting with us through his word, which gives great value. It adds great value now to what takes place when we get together for Bible studies, life groups, or we're just hanging out, talking about what God has done. Literally, he inhabits the proclamation of his gospel because Jesus shows up. And there's, there's even this spiritual intimacy that takes place as his gospel is proclaimed. <laughs> Whereas Jesus, he's still in the story. But I've got to get to the end here. I've got, I've got two, two things that I want to hit before we, we close this morning. And they're going to both come out of the last verse. Jesus made this huge claim at the very end where, in verse 20 where he said, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of, this, to the, end of the age. The third point that I want you to write down, where is Jesus? Jesus is with his people when they are together. Now, again, I'm taking this from, from, from here, and so let me, let me break this down. He's with his people whenever they're together. Any of you, uh, you know, that maybe were raised at church or Christian family or whatever, you guys read the King James Version Bible. Any, just raise your hand if that was you, okay? Me too, that's what I was raised on. That's why I did a lot of my memorization on. Obviously, you know, I, I preach from the, the ESV, English Standard Version, but the good old KJV, old King's English, this verse, if you memorize it, it was low. I am with you always to the end of, this has nothing to do with anything. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my father-in-law, uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law flew out to Idaho one time to visit us. And like right after we moved, it was in 2004, they flew out when Cassidy was born. And, um, and so they, they showed up and he's like, oh man. That's the first time I've ever flown in an airplane. Like they're, they're in their mid to late 70s at this point. First time I've ever flown in an airplane. I'm gonna tell you what, Keith, that is the last time I'm ever flying in an airplane. I'm like, what is the big deal? He goes, he said, listen, man. He said, I've got convictions about this. It's biblical. He said, Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, come on, man. Like, he believed it, he never did it again. <laughs> but that word, lo, behold, well, it, 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 comes from, it comes from a Greek word that other places, like in other Greek literatures, it's, it's actually this imperative exclamation, pay attention, look up, listen to this. What Jesus says, man, I, I, want, I want you to listen to me. And so that word behold, is, it's grabbing our attention I am with you always. Now hold on, I gotta I got look at that word you. Like if, you've, if, if English is a second language for you, man, you know how difficult it is when it comes to that word you. Even when you hear it, you know, is it talking about a little sheep or, you know, what what is it we're we're talking about? Y-O-U, it can be singular, it can be plural. And so when we read this, we're like, oh man, when we're, we're backed up in McDonald's and we've been waiting for 20 minutes and you're like, oh Jesus, I know you're with me and I'm glad you are because I'm going to do something if you. Like, like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, like there are other places in scripture that talks about Jesus being with us, the spirit of Christ dwells in us. But when Jesus says this, he makes this claim to his disciples, like, the only way for us to really understand this is to throw a little southern in there. Behold, I am with y'all. <laughs> Somebody from the south stopped me and said, hey, actually, that's wrong. You can't say it that way. They said, y'all is one. It's all y'all for, t- for two or more. And I'm like, Okay, okay, we're good. Yeah, from, from now on, man, whenever you read this, I want you to read this and hear it in a Southern accent, okay? What he's saying is, is I'm with all y'all. Always, always. And I think that there are times that we, we don't think it, it matters when we're together. But can I tell you that when we're together, Jesus shows up. When two or three agree together, you know, there's the old legal part, uh, phrases in scripture, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up. But but, but listen, you know, Barna, uh, George Barna, he owns a research group, and they, they, they did a, a survey a few years ago. And it was for just those who were professing believers, and they asked the question uh, what has been most important, or what are, what are the 10 most important things in your walk with, uh, with the Lord in developing Christ likeness? Worshiping together never cracked the top 10. In fact, 50% of all respondents said that it is of little or no importance. 80% of those under the age of 40 said it's of, of no importance. Gathering together, worship. Now here, I, listen, I'm a pastor, so you're like, of course you're going to disagree with that. Honestly, it doesn't matter whether I disagree with it person or not. I, you should not care what I think. All, all I'm saying is that's not what Jesus thought. That's not what the Apostle Paul thought when he wrote about the importance that we're all members one of another. It's not what the Hebrews writer thought when he was, he said, don't man, don't forsake the, the assembling of yourselves. There's something powerful. And it wasn't that we just, hey, we do this because we feel good about ourselves and we check the box and, and it's some ritualistic uh, thing that we do. No, no, that's not it at all. No, it's that, that Jesus said, I am with, again, I'm, I'm gonna keep using the language, all y'all, when you're together. And I'm gonna be with you always to the end of the age. Why I think this is significant is that sometimes when we try this Lone Ranger Christian thing, we never truly get to know Jesus as we can fully as we're in community with other believers. I can't tell you how over the years God has used the influence of men and women who are walking with him i've i've seen jesus in their lives i've actually learned more about what this looks like it's not just just this this incredible cool thing that happens when we corporately worship together we sing together we pray together No, as 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 i sit down with a, another uh, n- another believer we eat together we hang out there's just something powerful that takes place in e- place, place even through Friendship. Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. And when we ask our, we're asking the question, God, where were you during that divorce? Where were you when I lost my spouse? Where were you when this tragedy happened? Don't miss the fact that God usually doesn't manifest himself supernaturally. He shows up in the people that mowed your yard that brought a casserole that came in and they didn't try to give you a stupid answer for why the tragedy happened, because we don't know. They just literally put their arm around you and they let you cry. They were the people that were there when you needed to vent. They were the people that did not judge you. They just loved you. That was Jesus showing up. Jesus said, I'm with you always, together to the end of the world and I think that's such a powerful, powerful thing because what it what it does when we begin to understand that is is that it doesn't feel like there's this distance between us and God. You know, Jesus is out there somewhere, you know, he did his he did his deed, he died, he walked out of the grave and, and then he's off sitting somewhere else and it has no bearing on our lives. No. No, he shows up wherever his people are. Oh, man, what I love is this moves us from this sense of distance to, man, man, I can know him. He cares for me. I could spend some more time there, but I could get you guys out of the parking lot. So (laughs) I'll leave you with this last point. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want you to, to leave with this thought. Jesus is at the end of history as we know it. Jesus is at the end of history as we know it. Now listen, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, uh, somebody who's an anthropologist or, or anything like that. or You don't even have to be a believer to look around and see that our world is jacked up. We, we got problems. And, and, and what I know is that when it comes to response to what we see, the, our, our response to what we see says a lot about where our hope is placed, right? Like, like, like some of us, some of us may sit in front of, of Fox News or CNN or whatever your preferred network is and, and you're like, and you're just getting fired up. Like you just get mad. You go to bed mad. You wake up mad. You go to work mad. You're just mad at stupidity. Stop being mad. Literally, can I? I'm gonna give you like, I'm gonna give an altar call right now. Some of you just turn off Fox News. Like, turn it off. <laughs> turn off CNN. Like, like, there are times, there are times you just need to stop being mad. Because our hope is not in the stupidity that we see. Man, man, the tragedy that we saw in Nashville breaks my heart. It just had, you know, like, like today, I just got another notification before I walked in the first service shooting at a mall in Delaware uh, yesterday. Like, you know, people, sh- I'm like, what? Like, it's happening so frequently, if you've got the notifications from news organizations, you just almost get desensitized to it. It's like, it is what it is, our world is screwed up. Yeah, it is, but we don't have to be mad about this. In fact, um, (laughs) we're kicking off a brand new teaching series starting next Sunday through the book of Revelation. And yeah, hold on, before you send me the weird stuff. Before you send me all your calendars and the dates and all that, that you know, like, I'm pretty sure the antichrist is King Charles. Like, like before you go down that road. <laughs> what you gotta know is the book of Revelation was written and it was received as a message of optimism. Are there, is there weird stuff in there? Yeah, but it was written to people, like the people that got it weren't like, oh man, I wonder what they mean, what this means. They, they knew what it meant. They knew so like the people like we can't ever know what like we might not know everything specifically but we can know some things. It was written to people who were who were suffering and they were asking themselves the same question you and I have asked ourselves at times. How long, Lord? What are we going to do? Here is the good news. Like like I'm going to give you a spoiler when it comes to this last series, okay? So like if you don't want the spoiler like oh, I want to be surprised, put your finger in your ears right now. Spoiler alert, here's how it's gonna end. When all the dust settles, everything's said and done, Jesus Christ is still gonna be standing there as our conquering king. Large and in charge, that's it. Where's Jesus? He's standing, not just at a place of authority. He's not just here. He's not you know, the other three are are kind of looking at the presently and even at the past. Here's this thing. This is looking forward. He is standing at the end of history. Now have you noticed there's a big difference between the you know movies at the box office that just tear it up and make lots of money and the movies that actually get awards? Have you noticed that there's a big difference between the Academy Award-winning films? I'm gonna tell you right now, like the ones that win the Oscars, I can care less about those movies. I don't because I, here's why. The, the, the movies that uh, make a lot of money uh, are the ones that have the good guy winning at the end. Dude, I love Top Gun Maverick. I I'm like, dude, come on, man. When da da da, you like when the music came on, I'm like, ha. Stand up and clap. Let's go, man. That's what I'm talking about. I love, that's why I, I'm, I'm still a sucker for the Marvel movies, man. I want to see the good guys win. I'm all in. You, uh, how, how many of you ever watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy or read the books? Let me see your hand. Oh, man, yes. The rest of you guys need to get on the wagon, man. This is good. <laughs> So so the writer of the Lord of the the Rings trilogy, uh, actually The Hobbit and a lot of others, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote another book. He he was actually an academic and he was writing on the significance of of literature and the difference that it can make in life. And, And in this particular book, he was talking about his frustration, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, his frustration with how people have differentiated between fairy tales and drama, and they love the fairy tale, but at at the end of the day, they're like, oh, it's for kids. You know, drama is your life. And so he broke down the the fairy tale uh, as, as a catastrophe that ends in joy. And he called it a you catastrophe, E U, he added that to the, to the front, U catastrophe. And then drama, which is his definition, a catastrophe that ends in tragedy, he called it catastrophe, D Y S. And he, he different, differentiates the two. And he says that, that a lot of us, we love the, you know, for him it was books, he said we love the books that, that, that are, the, are the fairy tale. But What we think is that those stories are for kids because life is a drama. Because when catastrophe happens, we're so cynical because of what we've experienced, we're like, oh, it's just going to end in tragedy. So while we like the story, for us we don't believe the story because it's just a distraction from real life. He makes the case that for the Christian, there's nothing better than for us to realize that life with Jesus Christ alive, it is the fairy tale. The fairy tale, not the drama, is the ultimate reality. In fact, when the world says life isn't like that, the universe doesn't work that way, Jesus Christ is like, oh yes it does. I'll tell you what the world is like. The crosses are swallowed up in a resurrection. And there's this place, and, and if you've watched, the, you've watched the movies or read the books, you, you know this. is where Sam, who's one of the heroes of, of, of the Lord of the Rings, uh, he, he wakes up and, and Gandalf, who is the, the great wizard, and he's the one that, uh, you know, if, if you know anything about you know the story, if you don't, Gandalf is, is the, the, the great wizard, the, the most powerful and all that, but he has died and everybody thinks that, he's, that, that it's over. When, when, when Sam opens his eyes, he sees Gandalf standing there. And here's what Sam says. I think this is so good. He sees him and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then... I thought I was dead myself. And then he asked this question. He said he asked of Gandalf, is everything sad going to become untrue? And that question I think bears repeating in 2023 for every person who's wondered: where is Jesus in my pain? Where is Jesus in the tragedy? Where has Jesus been? And we come to the mouth of the tomb, and like the women, we look in. And then on the way back to tell the disciples, we run into Jesus. In disbelief and fear, we fall down. We're worshiping at his feet. In essence, the question we ask Jesus is this. Ah, Jesus, is everything sad going to come untrue? Well, here's what we're gonna see as we jump into Revelation next week and in the weeks to follow. Revelation would never win an Oscar award. Thank God, it's gonna end with Jesus Christ, the slain lamb, the one who was buried, alive. And when, he, when we see him alive, it's not gonna be his broken, battered body as, as his disciples or, or the women would have seen him hanging on the cross, no. He is glorious. He, he is in such that, that, that when John sees him as revelation begins, he falls to his feet in utter awe and reverence. You cannot miss the fact that he is firmly in charge. And what this does is it brings the believer joyful hope, knowing, knowing that this tragedy, that this catastrophe ultimately believer is not destined for more tragedy. It's destined for joy because the king is alive. What's this mean for us as we close? Well, I hope that as as we leave, we'll be reminded again of the fact that, man, yes, Jesus is alive. But more than us just coming together and saying, hey, that was cool, like the music. You know, he made me laugh in the message or whatever. Like, like beyond any of that, beyond even what's going to take place as, you know, you kids have the fun Easter egg hunt, whatever that you do, the whole point of this is this. We're not commemorating a past event. We're actually celebrating a present reality because Jesus is alive. Jesus is still in the story. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's why we celebrate. I would say this before, before we close, guys. If you've, if you've come here today, some of you came to make mom happy, your husband happy, or your wife happy, your grandma happy, or like they bribed you with an Easter ham at the end of the service or whatever. Whatever it is, they're going to buy you your meal. If you showed up, and that's the only reason you showed up, first of all, I'm glad that you're here, but I want you to listen to me. There's more to this story. Because it's not just something for believers to celebrate. This can be your story. Jesus Christ can change your life. And at the end of this, of, of this service, we have people that will be standing up here in the front. If anybody has questions, you, you want to take next steps, or what does it mean to be a Christian? I want you to come up to the front. We also have a number that they're going to throw up on the screen that you can actually text. Text the word BELIEVE to And what we're going to do is, if that's you, you've got to get out of here. Somebody is personally going to call you this week. We want to follow up and, and help you understand the reality of this. Jesus Christ is alive because he's still in the story. It changes everything. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the incredible plan of salvation. Thank you for the reason that we have to celebrate. I'm praying that as we leave, that we would remember that what we have today, this is not just something where we're commemorating what took place centuries ago and it seems so far removed from us. I pray that like never before, we would be reminded again of the fact that when we were at our lowest, when we, when we felt like no one was with us, Jesus was present, he has been present, he will be present, Jesus is still in the story. And so God, for what you're going to do in the life of every person who believes to inspire and continue to, to help us take our next steps with you, I say thank you. But God, for the first person who's never believed, they've always thought that they just had to be good. Dear God, I pray that they would get rid of that, that moralism business, and they would begin by coming to the cross, realizing that what Christ did for them there, that's what covers the the debt of their sins. And I pray that they, they would understand that salvation comes by grace, receiving what we don't deserve, but it's made possible because of what Christ did and we just believe that it was enough and then we begin to walk. And I just pray that that there will be people whose lives are changed today. So God, for what you have done, for what you're doing, for what you're gonna continue to do, we thank you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. amen. See you next week. Happy Easter.